Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt, and I just want to wish you a very Merry Christmas, and thank you so much for joining us for one of our 22 Christmas services. So in any of our six locations, we want to say welcome you to Cleveland, uh, Hickson, Ringgold, Dalton, Chatsworth, and Calhoun. Thank you so much for sharing uh, this time with us, and we're praying that we just have a great time together as we talk about the reason and we talk about the meaning of Christmas. Hey, before we get started in God's Word, just want to point your attention to your to a next step card that's somewhere in the seat back in front of you or near you. This is a great way just to let us know that, hey, you are here. If you need a prayer request, if God invites you to take a step today, if God invites you toward him today, then you can let us know on, on, on this. And we've got a team of people that love to just help people and answer questions and come alongside folks or pray for people as we move into 2020. So just use that as, as God would lead you or as you feel uh, the need to. So I, I don't know about you, but you know, when I think of Christmas, Besides, you know, the, the Jesus and the manger and that, I think about relationships and we get together with family and we get together with friends and we get together with coworkers and we have Christmas parties and we have Christmas get togethers and it's just a, a relational time of the year and that can create stress and that can bring blessing, right? But there, there's, an, there's a larger relationship that I, I just want us to talk about for the next few minutes together and that is a relationship with God. And so I, I just want to ask us all to, to sort of think about an answer to this question. How is your relationship with God? And, and honestly, some of you, you know, uh, that you may say, I, I, I don't even know what that means. Or I didn't know that was possible. You know, it's, I have religion. Uh, I believe in a God or a higher power or the man upstairs. But, uh, but as far as talking to him, having a relationship with him, you know, hey, Monday through Friday, you know, you just got to do what you got to do. That's Okay. But how is our relationship with God is a key understanding or a key question to ask to understand Christmas. Now, over the years, my relationship with God could be described in a lot of ways, and, and I've had the privilege to talk to a lot of people about their relationship with God. And so I just want to give you some common ways I have heard this described or that I have experienced it. You know, some people, they, they think of God as rituals, like, hey, we just come to church seasonally, like Christmas, Easter, or monthly or weekly. We just come to church, and then there's some rules. And I, you know, I just sort of try to follow the rules. I just do my duty. And that's, that's the relationship. With, with my relationship with God is just sort of, I do some rituals, I keep some rules, and I think God and I are okay. Some people are like, you know, my relationship with God, Matt, I, I would just use past tense verbs. I, I would say things like, well, I prayed a prayer a while ago. I went to confirmation when I was a little kid. Uh, you know, I had a cool thing at vacation Bible school or at youth camp. Uh, I, I walked in aisle. I got baptized, but everything is past tense. And if we said, well, what about today? How's your relationship with God? It would just sort of get a little quiet. So that's the description. Some people, you know, you're doubtful and discouraged because something happened or you're just not sure. And who hasn't described like a relationship in, in your life, like with your spouse or your kids as distant? And, and sometimes that's just how God feels. And we just say, hey, God just sort of seems distant from me right now. 
And then sometimes, you know, we just approach God sort of like the doctor or sort of like 911. He's like therapy. He's like helpful when you need him. Uh, th- then, you know, you kind of seek him out. And, but if you don't need him and everything's good and life is good, then, hey, God's just kind of over here if you need him. And, and so those are just some of the descriptions. I don't know if any of those kind of fits you right now more than the other. But I just want us to go back and say, how is our relationship with God? Because Christmas is all about a relationship. In fact, one of the names given to Jesus is this, that he's Emmanuel, which translated into English is God with us, that God has a desire to be with us. And so here's what I want to ask us, okay? No matter where you would say you are in your relationship with God today in this Christmas season, what if there's more? You know, what if there's more than you know? More than you have experienced, more than you've heard of, more than you have realized at this point in your journey. What if there's more to this whole relationship with God thing than than you know about? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Christmas story from a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a group of churches in a region in the first century called Galatia. And this, this group of people were settling for less, not more, in their relationship with God. We're going to be in Galatians 3 and 4, but one of the very first things in chapter 1 that Paul says about this church and this group of people, he says, hey, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you, that you're walking and running or that you're leaving God. Look at the language. The language is of relational betrayal. The language is the, is, it's the language of, hey, I'm just walking away. I'm moving away from God. I am settling for less. And, and Paul doesn't want anybody to miss the best. He doesn't want anybody to miss the more of a relationship with God. And so he writes this entire letter to sort of talk about this concept of a relationship with God. And I think he really brings the point home and really makes it clear in the last part of chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4. So we're going to turn now to verse 26, 27 and start reading in in the word of the Lord. Here's Here's what Paul writes. He says, for through faith... You are all children of God in Christ Jesus. And just that description right there is a relational description that God is after sons and daughters, that God is after growing and making and creating a family. And and I, I just would say, hey, do you see yourself? Do you think of yourself when you wake up in the morning, when you walked in here into your church service? Do you think, man, I'm a son? I'm a daughter of God, the God who put this whole thing in motion, the God who gave me air to breathe, the God who set the earth upon its axis at the right distance from the sun at the right angle so we don't get too hot and we don't get too cold. I can have a relationship with him. I can be called his son or daughter. Is that what comes to mind? Paul didn't want him to miss this. So he continues his explanation, and he says, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Baptism is the symbol, the sign that you have now become a child of God, a son or daughter of God. And he uses the analogy of being clothed with Christ, and it's sort of like putting on a uniform. You know, if you've been a part of a sports team or you've been in the military or you serve like a first responder or when you go to work, you have to wear a certain uniform, it identifies you. It says, hey, that's a paramedic or that's an officer or, or that's, that guy's on that particular team. And what he's saying is this, uh, this baptism identifies us as being a child of God. In, in fact, he says being a son or daughter of God is more important than any other category that we could put ourselves in. And, you know, we're really good, right? 
at putting ourselves and putting other people in categories, right? We put us in categories by how we vote politically, how we look, our skin color, our ethnicity, rich or poor. And so Paul says, look, being a son or daughter of God is so important, it's so paramount, it supersedes all these other lesser categories. So he says there's no Jew or Greek. There's no ethnically, what's more important about you is not that you're white or not that you're black or not that you're Hispanic. It's what's more important is you're a son or you're a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He says, you know, there's no slave or free. So these economic distinctions, none of that. Male and female, that's subordinated to our relationship as a son or a daughter since you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so as I read through that text and I think about the name Emmanuel, God with us, the tone, the key point is this, that our God, the maker of heaven and earth, has a relational goal and a relational vision for people. That if we were to ask God and we can get get answers from the Bible, if we were to say, hey, God, what are you up to in this world? Well, what's your plan? What's your will? What do you want done? I am convinced beyond a shadow of doubt based on the authority of the Bible and the authority of God's word and the meaning of Christmas that God would say, I want a family. I want sons or daughters. I I want a group of men and women that when they wake up in the morning, they believe and they live from the fact that the most important thing about them is they are my children. That's what God would answer. And and let's look at this in other places in Scripture. You know, when we talk about, for example, eternal life, if I said, hey, describe eternal life, most people would describe a place, a good one and a bad one. When Jesus described eternal life, he didn't describe a place. He described a relationship. Here's what he said. This is eternal life, that they may know you. They may have a relation. This is an intimate relationship with you. The only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So I could stop right there and say, listen, do you have eternal life? And, 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 and the answer to that question is not, have you prayed a prayer, walked an aisle? The answer to that question is not, hey, I, I've grown up in church. The answer to that question is, do I know God and the one he sent, Jesus Christ? We go back to the, all the way back into the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, and God's still trying to get to, God's goals are still relational. Here's what it says. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. We go all the way to the end of the Bible, which is which the last two or three chapters of Revelation describe where all of this, all of us are headed. And what's the description? Then I heard a loud voice from the throne of heaven. It said, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. The end of history, the destiny of humanity is a personal, vibrant and eternal relationship with God. And understanding all of this is essential or foundational or central to understanding Christmas, Christianity, to understanding what God is after in this world. This is what God wants. This is what God is pursuing. This is foundational to understanding why you're even sitting here alive and breathing and taking up oxygen. That when God created you, he was creating the potential For you to be one of his children. So Paul, to drive this point, this relational 
vision, image, home, he uses an analogy out of sort of how families in the first century were structured. And here the analogy picks it up in chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 1. And here, here's the analogy. He, he talks about a child that's sort of underage, a child that hasn't matured yet to assume responsibilities in the father's house or estate or business. So he says, now, as long as the heir, that's the future son, the future daughter, the one that's going to take charge, is a child, he differs in no way from a slave. He's got to be told what to do. He's, got, he's managed, right? Though he's the owner of everything. That's his potential. And so he's like, I, I, we, we want children who mature and reach their potential. But instead, though, he's under the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So it's at a certain point in time, he starts acting as a full-fledged heir of the, dad, of, the, of, the, of the dad's estate or the dad's business. And so Paul says, okay, in the same way, this is the analogy, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world or the spiritual principles of the world, that the world that we live in enslaved us. So instead of being kids, we were slaves. Instead of enjoying and having a right and pure and eternal relationship with God our Father, we were enslaved by the forces and the principles of the world. And that enslavement meant we were not relating to God as his kids. We didn't know God as a father. And this takes us all the way back to this problem that we have. This problem that has put us in slavery and created distance between mankind and womankind and humankind and God. And let me describe it this way, okay? When most of us wake up in the morning, okay, we're, we don't wake up and think, oh my goodness, I get to connect with God today. We, 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 we wake up and we think, here's what I've got to do to make it in the world today. So when we look to God, we don't look to God for relational happiness or relational fulfillment. We have a functional goal for God. Our goal for God is, hey God, we want you to help us make the world work. Right? So we go to God and we go to God for help. We go to God in times of crisis. We go to God when we think we should have gotten A and life gave us Z. And we're like, God, what's the deal with that? So we just have this functional goal. God, you're supposed to help us function in the world. But God has a relational goal that lasts and is longer than the world will be, will be here. That's Revelation 21 as we looked at. So we've got this, God help us, help me make it work, help me make the world work goal, and God's got this relational goal. And, and so what happens is this, if God doesn't help us function, or we don't understand what God's up to, we just sort of take God out of the picture in one form or, 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 in one form or another. So the world we live in, and we've talked about it here, has spiritual forces that enslave us. What the world does, and it's been doing this since the beginning, is it offers us substitutes to a relationship with God. Substitutes. And those substitutes end up enslaving us. But this world we live in is broken, and, and it says, hey, this will fulfill you. This will satisfy you. And, and then we're like, yeah, but, but, but if I do that, you know, God's got to take a back seat. Or if I do that, I've got to reject God. And, and the w- bad world offers us these substitutes, and in our heart, which is bad, accepts them. 
And that creates a distance between us and God because what we're saying is this, God, I prefer to have this than to be in a right relationship with you. God, I prefer this money, this girl. I prefer to be funny. I prefer my career. I prefer other people. I prefer religion. I prefer the rules. I prefer this, that, or the other, but I prefer it over you. Or we say, God, but if if you really wanted me to be happy, God, you'd give me this or make this happen by now. And God's got a relational goal, and we've got a functional goal. We think I need this to function and to be happy. And God's like, no, 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 no. I created you for a relationship with me. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you don't have a relationship with me, you will never be happy forever. If I give you what you want in this broken world and, and to satisfy, quote, your bad heart, it'll end up leaving you broken. And you and I won't be, have that right relationship that I created you for. That's why the first question I asked, how's your relationship with God? It's the most important question we could ask. Now, we come by this honestly. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they had a great relationship with God. The world was perfect. They were perfect. But they had a little temptation, didn't they? And the temptation was a substitute. Now, Piece of fruit, God said, don't eat it. You can substitute that piece of fruit for something in your life. Money, sex, power, likes on Facebook, I don't know, career. And Adam and Eve said, hey, that'll make us happier than a right relationship with God. God created us for a relationship. We're, his, we're, the, we're the top of, the, of his creation, and he's walking with us, and he's talking with us. But hey, I, I think God's holding out on us. I think if we had this, the world would function better. I think if we took a bite out of this, we'd be happier than we were if we just did what God told us to do. And so they sin. They did what God said don't do. They preferred something over a relationship with their creator, their maker. And one of the most profound and amazing passages of the Bible is what God does after they did that. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Now, why do we hide from God if he wants to be in relationship with us? Because something's wrong. It's like when something's wrong with your marriage or something's wrong with your coworker, or something's wrong with your kids. You just feel separated. You feel like we're not close. And so they hide from God because relational damage has occurred. But then probably the most profound question in the entire Bible is then the Lord God called to the man and he said, hey, where are you? Now, God knows exactly where they were. This isn't a game of hide and seek going on here. This is like you sitting next to your wife or you sitting next to your husband or being in the same bed, but you just don't know where each other are relationally or emotionally or spiritually. This is God saying... Hey, you've moved from me. You've moved away from relationship with me. So for some of you right here, I believe God through his spirit, through his word, is asking you this same question. Where are you? Where are you? 
And, and we learn something from this. That when we choose something over God, when we choose, hey, this is going to make my life better, but it comes at the expense of a right relationship with God. When we choose, when the functional, hey, this will make my life better, becomes foundational, life malfunctions. Life malfunctions. Our relationships malfunction. And so the whole world as it exists is malfunctioning because the story of mankind, womankind, humankind is a group of people who are accepting slavery as their status quo instead of being a son or daughter of the Most High God. So how is our relationship with God? And where are you, God would say. So God does something. He walks through the garden and says, where are you? He speaks today at Rockbridge Community Church and says, where are you? God acts unilaterally. And that's where Christmas came in. Verse 4 of our story in Galatians. When the time came to completion, God sent his son Jesus, born of a woman. That's where the common Christmas story, that's Mary born under the law, born under the rules of the world, the rules of the system, to redeem, (coughs) to buy back, to purchase those under the law so that we might receive adoption. That's relational language. That's God wanting his family back as children. You see this? Christmas is not a tradition or a season to God. Christmas is God pursuing his kids and saying, I want you back. I want a relationship with you once again. And yeah, you've rebelled and you've messed things up and you've preferred everything but a a relationship with me. But I am going to make a way for you and, and anybody who might receive this to be adopted back into my forever family. So Christmas is a holy invasion of God searching after his kids and wanting us back, not wanting us enslaved. And Paul goes on, he says, because you are children, God sent the spirit of his son. So God sends Jesus to redeem, to adopt, and he sends the spirit into our hearts. This, this, little, this little preposition here, into Probably one of the most significant words in all the Bible because a lot of us, you know, we're looking out there. Is God out there? Is God going to change my life out there in the world? And God's like, no, no, no. I want to be in your heart. I want to speak to you in your heart of hearts, in your soul. That's my home. That's how close I want to be with you. I don't want to relate to you through a rule, through a ritual, through a place. I don't want to relate to you just through your circumstances of a broken world. I want to speak and live and abide and reside in your heart because he's relational sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba that's like intimate like papa like daddy abba father so you are now no longer a slave to the world and to substitutes that never will satisfy forever but a child and if a child then god has made you an heir That the best is yet to come. Now now look what God has done. 
Did we deserve this kind of father? Did we deserve this kind of hot pursuit of us? Do we deserve to be adopted into God's family? Because every single one of us, including yours truly, has at one point or another said, hey, I want this more than I want a relationship with God. Whatever that is for you or that has been for you, every single one of us has preferred someone else or something else to a relationship with God. God still sent, God still sent Christ, his son, at Christmas. So this whole adoption is God initiated, it's God acting, and it's God accomplishing. So everything that needs to be done for you and I to be adopted into the family of God, to have the Holy Spirit come inside of us so our spirit meshes with God's spirit and we can talk to God, relate to God as a son or a daughter. Everything has been done. Everything has been done. Everything has been done. Everything has been done. Cause, well, but my act, my act's not together yet, Matt. <coughs> Doesn't have to be. God's taking care of it. So we say, okay, okay, okay. Well, what about, what about, what about my, the, the, the junk I've done? What about those times when I've preferred something or someone other than God to God, to a right relationship with God? What about those things? What, Matt, what about the guilt that I feel? Because, I mean, here you are telling me, hey, God wants to be my father. And, and, I, and I've treated God like the man upstairs. I've treated God like a nuisance. I've treated God like a 911 call. I only talk to him when I need him. What about, what about all that stuff, Matt? I've betrayed God. Well, God's done that, taking care of that. The phrase we like to use is justifies. Justifies is a legal term where God acts as a judge. Just that phrase starts to scare us, right? God acting as a judge. But instead of judging you and me, he judges his son when he hung on a cross. So when you see Jesus We always got to go from Christmas to the cross. We can't stop at the crib. We go from Christmas to the cross. And when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, that's God punishing Jesus, not you and me. That's God putting all of our sin stuff on Jesus. And so God says, hey, I've taken care of that. Justifies means the judge looks at us who received Jesus by faith. He looks at us and says, not guilty, innocent. He looks at us and says, hey, all the bad I'm putting on Jesus and all of Jesus' righteousness, I'm going to credit to your account. So now you are justified. You are innocent. You are forgiven. You are not guilty. You're good to go. That's God the judge declaring that over his kids. Now, we can't stop there. We can't stop there. So maybe you've seen like Christian, uh, Christians with bumper stickers that say, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm forgiven. But we never stop at forgiveness. So many, so many sometimes Christians, or I don't even know if they're Christians, they'll stop at forgiveness and think, well, I'm going to miss hell. If your whole goal is to miss hell, you've missed the point. Amen. The point's not to miss hell. The point is to be a son or a daughter and have a vibrant, right relationship with God as Father forever. So God not only takes care of the sin problem, He also adopts us. 
He adopts us, and so he wants us to call him father. He wants us to relate to him in that kind of intimate family-type relationship. So God the judge justifies, innocent, not guilty. God the father adopts. And so now, with those things established, the foundation of everything... The foundation, like the foundation God wants you to stand upon, the foundation God wants you to live from, breathe from, move from, make decisions from, face the world from, is this foundation. I am who God says I am based on what Christ the Son has done. I am who God says I am based on what Christ the Son has done. So when I wake up tomorrow, The most important thing about me is not what happened to me 20 years ago. The most important thing about me is not what I've got to do that day or this season. The most important thing about me is timeless, changeless, and a gift. I am who God says I am based on what Christ the Son has done. That truth alone has the power to set many of you free right here as I speak if you believe it in faith. Because many of you, you know what you're living from? You know what you're living from? You're living from a broken world system. And here's how you would, this is what you live for. Well, I am who those people say, say I am. Now, who are those people? It's whoever you've chosen to give the keys to your happiness to, and you're a slave to their reactions, and you're a slave to their opinions. Some of you would say, no, 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 I am what I do. I am what I accomplish. So you're always a slave to your performance. And if somebody outperforms you, you're unglued. If you're a business person and you believe, hey, I am what I do, and you have a bad quarter, it's a stressful season, right? If you're not sure if you're going to get the deal, get the job, get the promotion, you are wigging out because you are not standing on the foundation of a relationship with God. You're standing on a dysfunctional world principle. And then, you know, and then some of you, you would say, well, I am what I have. Man, look at my car. Look at my house. Look at my bank account. And others of you would say, I don't have much. I'm nothing. I don't have those kind of clothes. I don't have that kind of house. Both of you, wrong foundation. Your God is relational. He wants you to wake up every single day and face the world and face eternity, resting on this foundation. I am who God says I am based on what Christ the Son has done. And if that is the foundation you stand on, there are three truths, three truths for you to receive and celebrate this Christmas. Truth number one is, I am no longer a slave. I am no longer a slave to my fear, to my addiction, to what they say, to what they did. I'm no longer a slave to the business cycle. I'm no longer a slave to the stock market. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of God. Number two, God is my father. God is my father. He's not the man upstairs. He's not just the creator. He's not mother nature. He's my dad. He's my dad. And his spirit lives inside of me. And I know Emmanuel, God with me. God's not against me. God is with me. See, 
if I asked you this question, if I said, hey, what does God think about when God thinks about you? What does God think about when God thinks about you? You know what most of us would say? Well, he'd say, well, no, God, God, God wants me to do better. God wants me to do bad things less and do good things more. God, God just thinks of do. Matt, you need to do. Matt, you need to not do. You know what God thinks about when God thinks about you? He thinks about with. I want to be 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 Emmanuel to them, to them, to him, to her. I want to be with. Well, but what about do? Jesus has already done. So I can call God my father. And then the third thing that's true If you stand on that foundation of I am who God says I am based on what Christ the Son has done, then you live with the hope of an heir, an heir, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This means that you can say emphatically, honestly, and eternally, the best is always yet to come. Doesn't matter if you got diagnosed with cancer yesterday. The best is yet to come. Doesn't matter if you broke up with your boyfriend yesterday. The best is yet to come. It does not matter if, if, who gets elected president next year. The best is yet to come. It does not matter what they say about you. It does not matter what's going on in your body, in your marriage. The best is yet to come because God is your father and he has promised you an estate. He's promised you an inheritance and he will deliver on that promise based on the fact that there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. Now, just imagine if you had that kind of hope. See, most of us, you know what we walk around with? We walk around with hope so hope. Man, I hope it works out. I hope the weather's good. I hope she says yes. I hope they like it. I hope we get the deal. I hope it's a boy, right? I hope the tests come back negative. I don't want anybody to walk out of here with hope so hope. I want you to walk out of here with no so hope. I know that I know that I know because God is my father and I am no longer a slave. I know the best is yet to come because I'm in the forever family with God and I wake up every day and the most important thing about me cannot be changed, stolen, or taken away. I am who God says I am because of what Christ the Son has done from Christmas to the cross. If you today would like to make that true of yourself, all the work's been done, but like a gift at Christmas, to enjoy it, you have to receive it. So in just a minute, we're going to close our eyes and bow our heads and pray, and our campus pastors, venue pastors are going to come up and just give you some instructions, and you can use that blue next step card to say, hey, today's the day. I'm giving Jesus the steering wheel of my life. Today's my day of adoption. Today's the day God got me and adopted me and put me in his forever family. Some of you, when I ask that question, how's your relationship with God? And then the second question from the scripture, where are you? You know what's happened. You've moved. God hasn't. And maybe today's the day you come back to him. He's still your father, and he wants his kid to come home. And then for all of us who are no longer slaves and who God is our father and who can live with the hope of an heir that the best is always yet to come, we can worship. We can worship and praise God because of Christmas.
Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. God, we just want to give everybody some space right now, just in their hearts, to talk to you, to tell you they're sorry, or to say yes to adoption, to salvation, to forgiveness, or just to say thank you because of what you've done. Jesus, this Christmas, we declare you are Emmanuel, which means God with us.